0: What's up, everybody? Good morning. You know, just a little technical difficulty. That's all. You know, look at that. We're five years old. You believe it? Five years old. It's just crazy. It's crazy to me. I remember moving up here. Uh, uh, you know, after answering the call to plant then Texas Grand Chapel, now Refuge Church, and it just seemed like an impossible thing. And it really was an, an impossible mission. But God has shown Himself faithful, and we have done so much in five years. So many. Things have happened in our five years. And so, if you were with us in our living room, in the living room, in my house, in my living room, raise your hand, let me see. I see one in the back. I see the logs. I see the logs. Come on. Everybody else ran away. They got afraid. Uh, we are not going to some dude's living room to start a church. And it's a cult, not a church. And we're not going to have any part of it. And then we moved to the high school. the high school started to get a little more serious. Anybody with us in the high school days? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I've got a few more since the high school's days, uh, pretty crazy, and then, then we moved here, and the rest of y'all have us here, uh, it will not be long, and we'll move someplace else, and then we'll say, anybody been with us since we were at that little bitty building on 1314? you know, you'll raise your hands and go, oh my gosh, God is moving as we grow, but so much has happened here, my favorite thing to see is this life change in you is to be able to see life change in me. Uh, and, and there has been a lot of that. But I'm going to let this video uh, speak for all of us. So check this out, will you? Uh, so how long
1: have y'all been coming to
0: Refuge Church? Man, that's a toughie. Do um, oh. you remember? Mm-hmm. I think since the first day. Yeah. Just a little over a year. A year and a couple months. Yeah. We started coming. We started, yeah. We came from San Antonio. We visited several times.
1: Yes. And solidly, we've been here for a good year. A Good year, yeah. We haven't anything. No, we haven't mm-hmm. started anything. That's all we, we came to refuge uh, right after Thanksgiving in 2019. Um, straight up and said, I'll see you at church on Sunday, welcome to God, you know, and I said, man, you know, you're sure you're going to want to be tattooed up, you know, uh, this just guy who's had a horrible past, you know, in your church, and he's like, man, Jordan club was about six us you know, and to me, that just kind of... Allowed for me to, um, to drop those barriers. And, and as soon as I walked in, you know, I just met just these wonderful people that are now, you know, I can honestly call my family. And uh, my story is different. different. My most favorite memories, it's really hard to just one, but it's just whenever I go into work with the kids. I always have just, just such a good time. There's always something that happens every single Sunday, um, whether Beckett's bringing in bones that he's been finding, or um, someone spilling hot chocolate all over the floor, or um, Samuel doing his, his prayer. Um, and, there's just always something. It's very eventful in there. I think that's probably one of my most favorite memories right? at the First one.
0: It's an honor to be a shepherd, I'm really the under shepherd of Jesus Christ here. It's an honor to partner with you. Uh, this is our church, right? We together form the body of Christ. We are the bride, and to be able to lead for this season and to be able to plant and start Refuge Church is really will will go down It's my greatest honor of my life to see uh, what he's doing, uh, The families that come together and and. Uh, reconciliation that happens, men that learn how to lead in their families, ladies that are just renewed with Christ and they can see God in and through them in their lives, that you, the church, become this beacon of hope and this light in the dark world. It's just so cool that we all, the body of Christ, get to be together.
1: And it's been such an honor and a privilege to be a part of your lives. Oh, God, I just got a little choked up right there. There's not words to express how amazing it is to be. To be a a, a pastor's wife in this church, and to lead in this church, and to be a family with this church, to want to grow. Thank you for letting us in. Thank you for accepting our vulnerability and our shortcomings and our flaws and loving us anyway. you,
0: church. Not <clears throat> good. Y'all are, are amazing. Uh, look, I messed up. I, I do not know why God chose me. Um, but I remember sitting in your seats in churches all over this country going, why is he choosing me? He wants to choose you. Like, what is is it that in the next five years you're going to do for him through Refuge Church and with Refuge Church? I I really say it a lot, but, but I mean, it's for real. We're five years old. We are just getting started. Like, you are at the grassroots of the history of this church and what God will do in Conroe, Texas, and the surrounding communities as we continue to make Him famous, right? Like, as we continue to just be raw and real with each other, I'm not okay, and that's okay, but I want to be a church that loves the outcasts, that loves the marginalized, that says you can come and worship with us, when no other church will let you come in. But don't expect us to to keep you where you are. It's like, we're going to grow, we're going to mature, we're just going, going to see what God does. Stacy's not lying when we say uh, we are honored to serve in this position. It's like, we're honored to serve you. It's really the most difficult yet rewarding work we've ever done in our lives really is. It's just this, yeah, I feel, I feel uh, bipolar sometimes, right? Like I'm encouraged and then turn around and I'm discouraged. and then uh, I'm encouraged and I'm discouraged. <laughs> it's just this life of a pastor. And I tell you, every time I see you on Sundays, every time I reach your Facebook or get a message or have a cup of coffee with you or sit in your homes and chat with you, like it just lifts to me. It lifts me and it encourages me. But anyway, I, hey, I could talk about uh, all that God has done in this church all day long, but I, I, I think we need to continue and get into the sermon. Can we do that? Like, right, come on, let's do this, okay? Uh, next installment of discipleship, get on board. Like God is calling us to be disciples of him like to be followers of Jesus Christ. And last week, we looked at rough seats. Remember, we, we can't determine when the, when the, the rough, the, 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 the trials of life are going to come to us. They just happen. And sometimes you can see them all on the horizon, and other times they just pop up, and it gives us this problem. Well, for this week, we're going to build on that discipleship process. And I titled the message, come on, The Crew Will Argue the crew are too, like, it's no accident that our volunteer teams are called crews come on. Coast Guard dude. We work in crews. Like, crews labor together. Like, what do we call them? You know, a lot of people call them, a lot of churches, the dream team, right? Like, all these different words that you have for serving, and I'm like, I don't know. It's just like it's a crew to me. Like, like, what do you do? You you grab a crew and you go do something. You grab a crew, you go do work. If you've ever seen The Finest Hours, the movie The Finest Hours, on the the Pendleton Rescue in the 19 50s up in New England. You've got to watch it. But what's he talk about? The the officer in charge of the station goes uh, whatever, grab a crew and go out and do this mission, Do this work. Like, crews work together. Crews serve together. You're a part of a crew. You you, you become part of something when you serve together. But I need to tell you that the crews will argue. There will be conflict in our lives. Disagreements will come. But feelings, come on. Feelings will get hurt when we serve in the church or when you become part of something. Your supervisor at work has probably hurt your feelings. You probably had arguments, but any time you get people together, this reminds me, of life aboard my first Coast Guard assignment. The Coast Guard Cutter stores in Kodiak, Alaska. Never left the state of Texas before in my life, other than standing in Texarkana with my foot in Texas and my other foot in Arkansas on the state line. If you know, you know. Right? And and I I, I never flew on an airplane until I went to boot camp and they said, congratulations, your first assignment is Kodiak, Alaska. (laughs) I got stuck in Seattle because a volcano was erupting uh, in Alaska and no planes were flying for three days. I said, you don't understand. I have orders, military orders, to get to Kodiak, Alaska. They said, you don't understand. You're not flying to Kodiak today. Right? So I stood there in position of attention in the airport in Seattle for three days. So later, I learned I would have checked into the Holiday Inn and just said, call me when the plane's ready. Well, I was new. And I got to this new unit at midnight. Never seen a mountain in my life. And they directed me to my birthing, to my first place where I was going to sleep. And here's a picture. Here's a picture of three high. They're coffins, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. You get a little walker, and under that bed, it lifts up, uh, and you can have a place to sleep. Matter of fact, uh, there's rows of these. And in for there 38 man birthing, and there's just rows, and 12 men would live on that aisle. Imagine there's something happening, and everybody having to get dressed and ready at the same time. I'm telling you what, that environment is ripe for arguments. It, it's ripe for conflict. Look, we generally got along, but there were times when tensions would flare up. It sounds a lot like church to me. You know, we get intimate, vulnerable, close with each other, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden something happens and it causes this conflict. It causes this anxiety to come out, and occasionally arguments will happen. Well, why? Why? Why do Christians argue? Why, why do married couples argue? Well, why do, why do you have workplace issues? Why do you come home at the end of the day and go, Oh my gosh, that guy works. That girl at work, she's driving me crazy. Why do you do this? Because Satan. Because Satan wants us, wants you, arguing with another person. He wants us in constant conflict. He tries to create conflict because if division can happen, he starts winning. But here's what I want you to see. Arguments continue only because one side is too proud to apologize, and the other side is too stubborn to forgive apologizing and forgiving. I do either of it. You've wronged me. And I'm not going to quit until you see that you have wronged me. Matter of fact, I feel like I ought to get a little vindictive with you. Right? I feel like, you know, I ought to dig my heels in. Why? Because I'm too stubborn and I'm unwilling. Pride, arrogance, stubbornness. It, it, it happens. It comes over us, and we can't control it. Just the human flesh for it. Psychology today it states that the number one reason that humans argue is a lack of mutual empathetic understanding. Empathy. When empathy is not engaged, what happens is people retreat and they draw back to self-protection. Why? Because we're selfish. As humans, we try to get our way every time. And we will fight to the death to get it. And the scriptures have something to tell us about it today. But what what first is empathy? What what is empathy? To empathize with somebody. The the, the dictionary says it's the ability to recognize, understand, and share the thoughts and feelings, come on, of another person. Uh, Oftentimes, we don't want to touch the feeling button. Come on, man. Your wife. How does that make you feel? Oh, Oh, that's a loaded question. I'm not touching it. not touching it. Because I know what happens when we start talking about my feelings. When I say something wrong, you start crying, you get mad, and now we got to see counsel. <laughs> right? I'm not touching it. I'm not going there with my feelings. What, what, what we need, though, is empathy. I can see how you feel that way. I can understand why this must be difficult. Could you imagine if you went to see counsel and your counselor, whether it be a friend, a neighbor, a pastor, a professional counselor, if your counselor just looked at you and just said, suck it up. Like deal with it." Like you'd be gone, wouldn't you? No empathy. And typically, I can see how we got to this place. Developing empathy is crucial for establishing a healthy relationship when conflict arises. It brings this compassion within us. And we all ought to have compassion. As Christians, look at Jesus, how compassionate he was. He would sit with the sinner. He wouldn't yell at them. He would sit with them. He would argue with them. He asked them questions. He tried to understand. Why do you feel this way? Like? What is going on in your life? Yet he knew everything. It, it, it involves experiencing another person's point of view. Will you look at conflict from their perspective? Will you turn your viewfinder from trying to get your way in understanding what Satan is doing in the moment of conflict or argument or disagreement? Like, can you see that Satan is trying to weasel his way in here? Oftentimes, within the church, argument happens, and there's no real known reason. And it just occurs. And then when you start to boil it down, the question is, well, why are we arguing? And the parties go, I really don't know. I, I, I really don't, I don't know. We just feel like there, somebody said something or something has happened. And we don't have empathy. Let's look what Timothy writes. And he gives us some guidance. Just Again, I say, do not get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. As a servant of the Lord, us Christians, right? We must not quarrel, but be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient and diff- with difficult people. Not like if we use that as our assessment, how are we doing? When we start looking at that, I'm like, okay, so uh, I don't like to get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments, but why do I find myself there? And then I ask myself, am I kind to everyone? And am I able to teach in the midst of it? And can I be patient with difficult people? Patience? With difficult people? Man, that's tough, isn't it? Like, automatically, you can probably start thinking of your workplace. And you can start going, oh, man, there's that one person. If you can't think of that one difficult person in your workplace, <laughs> oops, you're probably it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're like, man, everybody at my workplace, we're just awesome. We got together. you probably the difficult one.
1: <laughs>
0: However, even though we know that we're going to face these problems, we still argue. Now look, I am not against a healthy argument. You know, attorneys in the courtroom they argue, they argue their case, they stand up for the right. But do you also notice in the courtroom there's this uh, there's this discipline and there's this structure to state your case? But outside of the courtroom, uh, all hell breaks loose. Right, because Satan is in the midst of that, and this turbulence comes. Like, we've got to change the way we argue. We've got to change the way that we fight the good fight. Dr. Les and Les, it's a Leslie and Les. it's a man and a woman, husband and wife, and they are marriage counselors in the Pacific Northwest, and they will say... To married couples, you've got to fight the good fight. Like, fighting is okay. Arguing is okay. But you've got to fight the good fight. You've got to fight what's worth fighting for and not allow Satan to just uh, bowl you over. So let's look at this scripture today. And it's one, if you brought your Bible up, it's in Matthew, you start turning there. I want, I want you to underline it. If you didn't bring a Bible, like write it down, take a picture of the scripture. Because this is one that we're going to kind of camp on today, keep coming back to. But it really unlocks the key to conflict. It's Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 17. And it says this, if your brother or sister sins, go out and find their fault. Just between the two of you. A lot of issues in here, a lot of stuff to talk about. I want you to see that there is a biblical way to handle conflict in the church, and when we handle it this way in the church, it applies outside of the church too. Like this biblical concept of handling conflict work its what disciples of Jesus Christ need to be doing, and I don't see us doing this well. So we're going to break down those scriptures, but before before I go there, I, I need you to know that that this scripture is widely misused. This scripture is to handle an argument or a conflict. It is not used to handle egregious events, right? Like, Like there's some things that you just, you know, we don't go through these step processes for egregious events that, that there's something that's happening. Mean, I think of issues that have come in our church. Where we've been, they're, they're heavy issues, and they're big things. And we don't go, okay, let's go step by step. Step number one, let's go have a conversation privately. Step number two, let's get some others on board. Step number three, let's take it to the church. No, egregious events are handled differently. Okay? So this is conflict. And I, I, it's important that we understand that because every Christian in the church, you're going to be given conflict. And we ought to know what to do with it and how to respond. So today, we're in good favor because there's three issues that we ought to do. We'll give you three points today. Number one, uh, communicate privately. Like when there is conflict, disciples of Jesus Christ, when we get on board, will understand that the private conversation is critical. When arguments arise, what I have discovered is this is the most difficult step for Christians to take. It's the first step, but it's the most difficult, but it's also the most diffusing. When one person will talk with another person one on one, privately, private conversation. People in the church, listen here, they find it easier to talk to other people about the issues that they're having instead of the person directly. We talked a little bit about gossip last week, right? Uh, this is kind of what happens. It's how it starts. It's not gossip. but it, no, it really is. It's just hard. It's hard to talk to the person in which you have conflict with. Matthew eighteen 15. We're going to go back to that first part of Matthew. If your brother or sister Sins, go out and point their fault. Just between the two of you. See that? I've underlined it for you this time. If they listen to you, you want them over. Now, before we go further, conflict is missing the mark of communication. Missing the mark is sin. And so when we have conflict, when we have arguments, it's not how God designed us to. We're entering into a sinful relationship. I'm going to say things I don't mean. We're going to go to places we ought not to go. Why? Because we ought to be loving, building, and encouraging one another. So when the conflict comes, we need to enter into a one-on-one private conversation. We have to go there. If you simply would address the issue, so many times as a pastor, someone will come to me and go, let me tell you about what happened to me at a group last week. Let me tell you what happened to me when I was serving in this crew last week. Let me tell you about these things. And they expect me to go solve their problems. And I'll ask the question, well, have you talked with that person about it? Oh, no, no, well, no, I haven't talked to them about it. They may be angry. I don't know what they're going to say. I know what's going to happen. Well, I can't help you biblically but until you, you do the hard work. Why do I have to do your dirty work? When we would simply go and say, hey, this thing that you said hurt my feelings. Hey, this thing that you said offended me. Uh, husbands and wives. You've got to to be able to communicate privately, the two of you, not in front of your children, and say, hey, look, when you do this, it hurts me. I don't like it when you say these things in front of other people. I I really wish you would stop doing this issue. Like, we need to learn to do that. It'll work in your workplace, too. Like, one-on-one, private conversations. It's usually where 99% of the issues are diffused, especially if you enter into that conversation with empathy. I can see how what I've said offended you. Can we talk about that? And you'll learn something. The other person will learn something. There'll be this mutual uh, growth. There'll be this mutual understanding. And and then my experience shows those people within the church, especially, who come together and address an argument or a conflict biblically with empathy and understanding, they have this strong bond and they become best buddies. Why? Because you've been through the fire together. Why? Because I trust you now because you'll come and say something to me privately, not in front of everybody, not text-blasted to your group, not secretly posted on social media, grab right, that one person and, and, and then you block that person so they can't see it, but everybody else can. Like that's, that's, that's what Satan wants us doing. Missing, missing this step is a huge mistake. It's the hardest one. It's the hardest one. And can't you see the biblical reason for it? Because resolution most of the time occurs here. When you say, hey, let's not waste any time, let's, let's, let's address this. Let's have an adult conversation. Let's learn from this. Why? So we can get over it. So many people will leave because of what they call it, church hurts. It's legit. I can't tell you how many times the church has hurt me. But remember, the church isn't a building. The church are the people that are in it. And anytime time we get together, there's going to be conflict. And when the conflict isn't resolved in a timely manner, it festers. And then we're like, man, what do we do? Where do we go? <coughs> oh, it, it, it becomes this problem. You probably said, it. You, you might have been there. This might have happened to you. You might be here sitting here today because the church here hurt you, and you didn't resolve that conflict. I hate to say this; it's just a matter of time before it happens here. What going to do? Like, we have to learn how to resolve this conflict privately and just honestly. No, oh, you can't just ignore the issue. Some of you are just like, I'm just going to ignore it like this happened. I'm going to go home and talk to my spouse, and I'm going to get it off my chest like it never happened again. And then as soon as you get in that environment with that person again, the reflex, it comes right back. You get that feeling all over again. Why? Because you haven't addressed it. Because Satan spiritually is having his way and he's trying to inflame the issue. And it works. We've got to overcome it. Proverbs twenty-nine-twenty-two. An angry person stirs up a conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Let's not be those people. Look, I've been there. I've been so angry sometimes with some people in the church, not this church, of course, but some other churches that I've been a part of, like, I've been so angry. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they said this about me. I can't believe they did this to me. i was so sad. People are burning and roasting you. Like, well, why don't we just go ahead and invite me to the party? Everybody put on tuxedos and then just roast steam and get it over with. You ever been there? You're like, ah, What's happening here? But God calls us, and thankfully, He gives us some instructions on how we handle this. Friends, we, you, have to become comfortable having uncomfortable conversations with one another. You have to. It's church. It's the body. But this is where we learn how to handle conflict as disciples and disciple makers. Why? So that we can go out into our workplaces and into our neighborhoods and our community and help solve conflict. But don't be the one on next door app stirring up the flame. Right? Don't be the one on, on your HOA board that's just like like stirring it all around. Like go in there and and, and handle some of these issues in a secular environment in this. Way away and see what happens. I'll go talk to that person. I'll go have a conversation with them. Like I, I think we need to have a private conversation first. And second, we have to communicate with a trusted moderator. And there has to be a, another party in there. Now, if you've had a conversation one-on-one with another person, and, and, and about an argument or the conflict, it's, it's time to take the next step. But before you do that, I also want to say... we need to be careful. Backtrack to step one. We need to be careful uh, when we have conflict, and it's guys and girls, right? Sometimes you need to take a couple, husband and wife, husband and wife. I, I never advise for uh, a man who has conflict with a woman to have that uh, privately. Uh, I and mean, the opposite is true. Like you ought to take your spouse. You ought to take someone with you. We'll talk about that separately later, but, but you have to be careful how you address it. But if that doesn't work, communicate with the moderator. Um, however, before before you go to step two, as the scripture says, like bring another person or or, or two people into the conversation, uh, I ask that you pray about going back to that person one more time. Maybe they had an off day. Maybe you wanted to have a communication with them and you tried and they exploded, right? Like, like maybe, maybe they were just off that day. We can have off dates, can't we? But like, like, we're entitled to go, man. I, I was just I had a bad day. You called me at a bad time. But praying about, do I go back and just, hey, I really want to try to have that conversation again? Can, can we meet for coffee? And you'll sense and you'll know if you need to do that or not. And if it doesn't work, then you go to this step. Circling back sometimes is the right answer. Matthew 18, 16 says, But but if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter, listen here, may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So if a private conversation did not work, if it was not effective, the Bible says, bring some moderators in. Bring some brothers or your sisters in. Like, we've got to have some testimony and some witnesses. Isn't that what they do in a courtroom? Let's, get, let's call the witnesses. Right? And the witnesses will take account of what happened. Do you know what this tells me when it says the testimonies of two or three witnesses? This tells me mm, that people lie." You know that? Even Christians, church people, they, they lie. You, you lie. Not all of you. Some of all, No, all of us. Me too. We lie. Sometimes unknowingly. Like, like we have to bring some other eyes into it to bear witness. This is accountability. Disciples of Jesus Christ, we will open ourselves to accountability. How are you with that? How are you with people holding you accountable to the Scriptures? Some of you are, I love to hold others accountable to the Scriptures, but don't you hold me accountable to those same Scriptures? Like we need to, as disciples, be held accountable. Disciples of Jesus, you will open yourself to accountability. It also means that you will be judged. <clears throat> That's countercultural, isn't it? Doesn't our culture say, don't judge me? But yet we'll see later this morning that, that the, the scriptures say, oh no, we ought to be judged. Proverbs 1920 says, listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end you will be counted amongst the wise. Some of you want the wisdom without the judgment. That's tough. Some of us want to be wise, but do you know the only way that people are wise is because of what they've come through, the hard times, the difficult conversations. Why do you think elder people are more wise than younger people? Because they've walked through the mess before. They've experienced it before, and it's life-changing. But who you bring along and into the conversation matters. Once the one-on-one conversation fails, I promise you, tensions have just risen. Some people will feel attacked, and the tensions will rise. And so who you bring in really matters. It's time to pray. It's time to pray. It's time to seek guidance on who to bring. It's time to strategize. Come on. The the Satan, the devil, he's strategizing daily on the moment, on how to ensnare you, on how to pull you away, on how to isolate you from the body so that you're vulnerable to attack. And so you have to strategize on how to recover. I I believe it's wise at this point to uh, let the bonds in. Uh, to, to, to seek some guidance from leadership. Uh, I, I can see the disciples of Jesus having to face some difficult issues with some people in their time. Come on, you know there was conflict when Jesus was walking the earth, right? And the disciples had to go into some very uncomfortable conversations with people. And it, it, it didn't work very well. Can't you see them running back to Jesus and going, hey Jesus, like, like this is what I'm trying to do and this is what the task like like, what what do I do like how do do I solve this problem like how do I have this conversation who do we bring I I think in moments like this it's important to say hey boss I I think this is what we ought to do Like, like let the boss in why because it's going to them anyway Likely. But uh, give the boss a heads up. Like, think of your workplace environment. You're having issues with a, uh, with, a, with a peer in your workplace. You go, you have a private conversation with them. You're about to get another person or two and say, hey, let's sit down and huddle on this real quick. Uh, the likelihood of that conversation being mm-hmm. elevated, elevated to the boss it is probably there. And it, and it might be nice to give him or her a little heads up and Strategize together. Some of you have been in that supervisory position and you're able to weigh in, and oftentimes it diffuses the circumstance. We, as disciples of Jesus, have to get good at this. Once you have a solid plan, approach it with confidence, with love, and most will come around at that point. Most will come around. If they didn't, when another person comes in with you out of love and out of grace and out of mercy, they'll come around. Mm-hmm. But if they don't, step number three, what does it say? We're going to say seek leadership counsel. Like, seek the leadership. In the church, it's the pastor or the elder. In your workplace, it's the supervisor. Like, you have to take it to that level. Matthew 18, 17, the last part of that scripture we're camping on. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. These were the liars and the traitors in the scripture. To treat them like pagans or tax collectors means to shun them. It's the lowest of the low back in Jesus' time. If they repent, take them back in for sure. Like if repentance happens, it brings them back. But if they refuse, the Scriptures are saying, expel them. Jesus, look, he's tough on sin. He died for us to forgive us of our sin. He's tough on sin. He's big on giving people the opportunity to change their ways. But he never approves of misbehavior. He never approves of misconduct. When an argument comes to the surface, the pastor, the elder, that there, there's either going to be compliance or, or expulsion. I want you to see that. Like, by the time it gets to the supervisor at work, they're either going to comply or they're going to be fired, right? And I mean, come on, there's only one of the two ways. In the church, by the time it reaches the pastor, the elder, there's either going to be compliance or you're going to be expelled. Like, like it's, Jesus don't play neither do the pastors or the elders. Like, we've got to meet common ground, or it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. Look, it's the scriptural way. we will still love you. we will treat you with grace. But you can no longer be part of the body of Christ. There's a spirit that can come in and it can it can spread throughout the body and it's unhealthy. And that's why you don't go to the pastor first off, so there's not overreacting. You don't go to the elder to solve the problem because you have to first go yourself and then bring some others in. And then you can go up. If it's your workplace, it's called your father. Right? And you, and, you, and you don't get to argue that, do you? Like, that's the end of the road. Like, I, okay, no more. i am got to go find another employment. Look at what 1 Corinthians 5, 12 says. This is a hard scripture, y'all. This truthful. It says, it, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. See that? God will judge those on the outside, but the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. Some people don't like this. Some people don't know this. But we ought to be judging one another. Matter of fact, we do it anyway all the time. You don't tell anybody. Right, I mean, we we are the most judgmental elements on the I don't think the trees are judging the other trees. You know what I'm saying? Right. I don't think they're doing it. Like you all put a branch out there, you're not branching out over here, but you know. I don't think they judge each other. I just think they grow harmoniously together and their roots all mingle together and they create this environment. I think humans are sitting there, we you I can't believe you wear that to church, right? Pastor wearing a fruit basket church church, church, church like tennis like, shoes. I can't go to I can't go to church with a pastor preaches and family. Jesus, right? Like I, I mean, Jesus didn't wear suits, but it was spoken on the Sermon of the Mount, the most popular sermon in all of history. Like we will judge one another. But we do it in love, we do it in grace. And I want you to see that there's this there's this area that we have, um, in this way that we handle conflict. now, now, now it's just it's vital. That as Christians we follow this process. That like you engage in this process. When conflict arises, when arguments come, one-on-one conversation. Invite a brother or two or a sister or two into the conversation to moderate. And then take to the church, the pastors, the elders. And allow God to work through this process and watch what He does. Imagine when it happens. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you today. I thank you that you are in this place. I thank you that you give us guidance and instruction on how to handle conflict. I ask today, God, that as we enter into these steps of one-on-one and moderation and, and taking it to leadership, God, that you will show yourself. Allow us to become comfortably uncomfortable as we face conflict in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.